talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm kind of camped out in Acts. I've, I, when, I, when I started this series, I didn't have the whole thing mapped out. I just am kind of taking the pulse and, and seeking the Lord and, and, and following kind of a stream as I feel it because I want us to be thorough. I'm convinced, I am convinced, and I've, I've experienced this personally, um, it, but it, it also bears witness in the Word of God that um, one of the number one things that we need uh, when it comes to the move of the Holy Spirit, understanding the things of the Spirit, is teaching. It's teaching. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthians says, Brothers, in regard to spiritual gifts, I wouldn't have you be ignorant. So ignorance doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help the flow of the Spirit. Some, sometimes people have almost gotten into that mentality where, like, if I get struck by lightning, um, then, then great, and if not, I guess that's just the way it is. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a power that comes with understanding the ways of the Spirit, and that comes through the Spirit-inspired Word of God. So I want to begin again with a familiar passage that we've touched on, and kind of as a launching point um, for these other, uh, other truths, and it's in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 37, we're going to read uh, that, Acts uh, 2, 37 through 39, says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, shall, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the move of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we live in the age of the Spirit, the church age. Until we see Jesus face to face, this is your will for your people in this world. God, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. And God, we ask that you would help us lay aside preconceptions that we have to just receive the word planted in us, Lord God, which can work salvation in us. And we ask it and we believe you for it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, all right, so now this passage by now should be familiar to most of you who, who've heard this. It uh, is the culmination of the events of the day of Pentecost. Uh, so on the day of Pentecost, you had this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is in fulfillment of what the word of the Lord was in Acts chapter 1. Here's the risen Lord. He's during that 40-day period where he's appearing uh, to the, uh, the disciples and he's giving them instructions and one of the primary instructions, not one of, but really the primary instruction that he gave was, don't leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. That was his language. That's how he talked. This is priority one. There's going to be a mission for you to have. You think that, you know, that the world's going to end. That's essentially what they thought. Like, Jesus risen from the dead. This is it. That's all she wrote. And, and this, the kingdom's going to come, and that's, that's, that's it. Uh, but he had to tell them, no, there's going to be a mission. You're going to be my witnesses. But that mission is going to require the power of the Holy Spirit. And he instructs them along that line. And he says, stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with this, with this power. Because John baptized in water, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the day of Pentecost comes, and there's this outpouring. There's this tremendous outpouring of power. 120 people, this is the number that we gather from Acts chapter 1. Uh, they're in the upper room. There's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire rest on each one of them. And they all began to speak in other languages, right? So the, the word tongues that has become kind of a word within the Pentecostal uh, charismatic realm and even, even outside to refer to this, this manifestation of the spiritual gift. In, in Greek, it just means languages, right? They just began to speak in languages that they had not studied or otherwise learned on their own. And they're speaking of the wonders of God. This has an impact on the people that are there in, in Jerusalem for that festival that are gathered there. Peter gets up and preaches. And that's the bulk of chapter 2. 
And then you get this response from the people. They're cut to the heart. They realize what's happened. That they're convinced by the, by the conviction and the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. And they've gone and they've crucified him. They've crucified their way to Messiah. What are they going to do? And this is Peter's response. He says, believe, repent, and be baptized. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for everybody. So there's, there's this, if you, if you can put it this way, there's this sort of protocol that is laid out in this passage. This passage is very important. There's a reason why I keep coming back to it. Because this passage establishes the importance of what God has for his people. Listen, listen, this is the first sermon that is ever preached in the Christian age. You follow what I'm saying? This is, the first, this is number one. Of all the sermons that have ever been preached, this is the first one. I mean, how many think we ought to pay a little bit of attention to that one, right? This is the first sermon that's ever been preached by any preacher in any church. It's the, it's the Apostle Peter. He gets up, he preaches this. It has effect. Boy, you know, 3,000 people altar call. Pretty, pretty tremendous. They're cut to the heart. They're convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that this gift isn't unique to you, but it's, it's a mark of the covenant. This is going to be for, this is going to be a domino effect. It's going to be a ripple effect. Just like uh, Jesus told them, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, in the same way, this gift is like throwing a rock in a, in, a, in a pond. There's this push, push, push. There's this ripple effect in a circle that goes out from that. There's this thing, there's a core thing that happens with us, and then there's, there's God's intention is that there be a ripple effect out from that. So there's this importance to it that is being placed on it. Of all the things that God chose to happen and be said at the culmination of the first Christian sermon ever preached, this is what he chose. So it's important. The other thing is, it lays out the manner of the manifestation of the gift. And if you, can, if you want to put it this way, it's very dangerous because otherwise we get into a kind of a, um, an idea that this is mechanical. It's not mechanical, but there's spiritual truth in the core of it, this sort of ordering that's laid out. Believe, be baptized, you'll receive the gift, and that gift is not just for you, but for others. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of this domino effect. Now last week, I talked about this, and this, is kind of, this message is kind of an extension of last week, because I want to be thorough on it. Last week, I talked about Acts chapter 19. Now, I'm not going to turn to that passage, but I'm going to recap it. If you didn't hear that message last week, you can go online, North Lakes website, and, and the, the, the message is posted. I encourage you to do that. But, the, but that, that passage in a nutshell is this. The Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 19, arrives at Ephesus, and he arrives at a group that are simply called disciples. He thinks they're Christians. He thinks they've been baptized in the name of Jesus. They believed on Jesus. Because they're bearing some of the fingerprints of that, some of the marks of it. And he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he's saying, okay, now how does that work? If you are baptized, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how can you know, not know there is a Holy Spirit? So he immediately asks, well, then what baptism were you baptized in? Oh, John's baptism. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. You know, John said to believe in the one that followed him and so forth. So they're baptized in the name of Jesus. It says he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Does that sound familiar, spoken tongues? That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. It happened on the day of Pentecost. Right, so what you have in that passage is this indication that Paul is following this protocol. Paul is seeing there's an order. There's this believe, repent, be baptized, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. There's kind of a, 
there's kind of a sequence to it. And we're going to next week. I want to talk about a major exception to this, and that, that's the case of Cornelius. Okay, that's why we can't have a mechanical view. We, but we have to understand the, the core truth here that Paul assumes something, and this breaks down what I would call the, the sort of rigid evangelical mindset. Now, I'm not knocking evangelicalism. Uh, in, in, one, in, in, in one sense, most people would consider us to be evangelicals. But I'm talking this sort of, this sort of rigid way of thinking to say, hey, if you've been baptized, that means you've received the Holy Spirit, right? Because if you've believed on the Lord, you can't, that's impossible. It's impossible for you to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ without the conviction of the Holy Spirit at work. There's no such thing as new birth, being born again without the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul talking about? Why would he even ask that question? Doesn't Paul have enough sense to know that if you're a Christian, you do have the Holy Spirit by definition? Well, obviously he had that sense, but another thing, that, that makes another thing obvious, and that is that he understands, he has a different understanding of, this is important, the Spirit of God that comes upon you for regeneration, new birth, and the Spirit of God that comes from on high to clothe you with power. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you this. There are a lot of things that God does that quite frankly, not just at a personal level in my life, I talked about this earlier when we're praying, but even in the scriptures, that if I were God, how many are glad I'm not God? How many are glad that you're not God? <laughs> right. That if I were God, I would have done it different. But that's the thing about God. He is way, way God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he is like extremely God. So he's going to do things his way. Now, if I were God, according to the rational thinking, I would have simply said, hey, man, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And bam, it all happens instantaneously. There's only one problem. That's not what the scriptures say. It's just not. The scriptures make it very, very clear in the situation with Paul that he assumes following this, this truth that's given by Peter at the end of, of that first sermon, you believe, and then subsequent to believing, there's this clothing with power. Now, I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Because this is going to show that Paul, that Paul wasn't being free agent. In other words, he wasn't just operating according to his own way. He, didn't, he, hadn't, he hadn't slipped a disc or blown it or stepped out of line in some way. But this is a pattern that is established very early on, and we see it repeated over and over and over again. It doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to it, but when the exception happens, it's noted as an exception. Okay? It's, it's noted as an exception. I, talk, I talk to, talked about this, some examples that I've seen on the mission field, but, but the pattern that's basic and understood is, is what Peter lays out, and then we see it again here in Acts chapter 8. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 8, starting, and I'm going to read in verse 14. And read a little bit down to verse 23. It says this. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hand, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord... 
uh, pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. All right, so there's, there's a couple of things going on here. I felt prompted to share the larger story, but let me give you the back, uh, let me give you the back story on this. So Acts chapter 8 is when this splash gets wider. Right, so it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That's, what, that's the plan, that's the road map to the expansion of the gospel in the church that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1. So everything from the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 up through Acts chapter 7 is all just the first two, Jerusalem and Judea. So you had people in Jerusalem, and then you had people surrounding in Judea, that's that southern uh, the southern part of Israel, around, around Jerusalem. And the church up to that point is really made of those people. But this little thing happens where you get the clash between uh, Stephen, who's known as the archdeacon, the first of the seven deacons, and uh, a figure that we know as Saul of Tarsus. So Stephen, that culminates with Stephen being dragged before the Sanhedrin. He's condemned. He's stoned to death. And a persecution, spearheaded by Saul of Tarsus, breaks out against the church and the disciples are scattered. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but by and large, that, that sort of brief golden era of the church in Jerusalem seems to come to an end and those people scatter, right? Seems like, who, you know, who ruined the party, right? Well, Saul ruin the party, but as is always the case, God is a redeemer. What does God as a redeemer mean? God as a redeemer does not mean he prevents bad things from happening to you. God as a redeemer means that he takes bad things that happen to you and he turns them into good things better than if the bad thing hadn't happened in the first place. That's a redeemer. So God's a redeemer, he turns the situation around, and he folds it into his larger purposes. And the people scatter, and one of the people that scatters is Philip. And Philip goes to Samaria. Samaria is to the north. He goes to Samaria, and he begins to preach the gospel. Miracles break out. All these signs and wonders are happening. And the people are stunned, and they're following, P, uh, uh, they're following Philip. They're, uh, they're believing the gospel. And in their midst is a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. He's also known in some ancient sources as Simon Magus. Magus means sorcerer or magician. Simon Magus. And this guy was a, uh, well, he was kind of a wizard, but, but through witchcraft. And there are actually other sources other than the Bible that refer to him. And he had a pretty big following. Right? And he could do crazy stuff. One of the things that he could do was levitate. He could fly. There's several ancient sources that talk about that. So he was basically full of the devil. But he was astounded by the miracles that he saw, and he begins to follow Philip around like a puppy dog. And he's seeing all this happening. But up to this point, we haven't seen this impartation of the Holy Spirit. And that's the backstory when we start reading in verse 14. Verse 14 lays out this protocol, this sequencing, uh, very, very clearly. It says, they believe and are baptized. It says, even Simon believed and was baptized. And then it repeats that in verse 14. It says, the Holy Spirit hadn't come on any of them. They had just been baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter and John went to Samaria, not because they hadn't believed, not because they hadn't accepted the word of God, but because they had. You following? It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They'd been baptized in water, but they hadn't been baptized in the spirit. Now, listen. What do you call somebody who's accepted the gospel and has been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? What do you call such a person? You can call him a Christian. Do Christians have the Holy Spirit? 
Yes, by definition. Otherwise, they couldn't have ever been convicted of the Holy Spirit to be a Christian in the first place. So this is another passage that very clearly is, is marking and explaining that there's a distinction between the activity of the Holy Spirit in a person's life unto conviction and unto regeneration and this clothing with power. Because it says, verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He hadn't fallen. The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on them. There's this clothing with power. Again, if I would do it, if, if, if it were my way, I'd have it be like all just, you know, I'd have it be a bundle deal. You know, I'd have it be like, look, I'll take number one, you know, with the Whopper and the large fry and the jumbo cookies. We just do it all at once. But there's this, there's this pretty clearly laid out in the word, this sequencing that is going on. All right? That is the core of this truth that I'm, I'm wanting to get across to you. That is the core of this truth. Belief, repentance, empowerment. Belief, repentance, empowerment. Repentance is symbolized by baptism. I want to tell you, every single time that this happens, I see the reference in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. We got Acts chapter 8. Next week I'll talk about Acts chapter 10. And then we already talked about Acts chapter 19. In every single case, you have this sequence. Belief, repentance is symbolized and, and, and uh, demonstrated by baptism, empowerment. It's these things happen in this in this sequence, there's this expected order that it unfolds. Now, I don't want you to get a mechanical view of this. It's very, very important that you don't. But by the same token, this word is so that people will be encouraged and they will understand. I've run into innumerable Christians who believe they're believers, they're sincere, they go to church, they pay their tithes, they even, some of them even witness, they read their Bibles, they pray, but they say, I just feel like there's got to be more. I just feel like there's got to be more. I'm reading the Bible, I mean, I'm going to church, the people, I love them, I love those people, they're sincere, but there's got to be more. Well, I've got good news for you. There is. There is more. When I was in college, as, as most of you know, I went to Catholic University. I went to Notre Dame. Um, I was involved in two different groups uh, on that campus, and this is my first year of college here. I was involved in a campus evangelism group. It's nationally known. It's called Campus Crusade for Christ. And everybody in that, in that group, they're all good guys, good people. Um, but they were against the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just no sugarcoating it. They were just against it. And they had it all worked out. I want to tell you, their arguments made perfect sense. They were very, very rational. They, they laid it all out. They had their, it was all neat. It was in a box. It was, it was a bow. They had it all laid out. You know, they said, this is, this is, this is just the way it is. Um, they had a view that I would call the in or out view of the typical evangelical mind. The in or out view has ba basically views the Christian life like a light switch. Either the light is on or the light is off. The light's off, you're not in the Lord, you're in darkness, you don't know the Lord. If you pray the sinner's prayer, you get baptized, the light's on. You're either in or you're out. The only thing that's on a sliding scale, this is very important, listen to me here. The only thing that's on a sliding scale is how much you know, right? So a baby Christian might not know as much as a mature Christian, but that's really the only thing. As far as, as, far as any other sense of, like I just said, like there's got to be more, they would say, well, yeah, there's more because you're going to grow 
in the knowledge of the Bible, and that's going to give you a deeper sense of surety and, and ba basically your track record. You're going you're gonna to get to know God in the sense that he works things out and you're able to look back on your personal history and say, God was faithful before, he'll be faithful again, so forth. There are, there's truth to those things, but here's the thing, that's, that's just not the whole truth. Because the other group that I got involved with, and this is when I ended up at Lester Summerall's church, I ended up in, around great preachers, great men of God, people who sought God, they had a very different view. It's not just in or out. It's a question of constantly hungering and seeking more of God's very presence. It's seeking more. It's, it's, it, a lot of it's wrapped up in the word anointing, but it's not just that. It's the sense that there's more of God to be had even by Christians who've been Christians for a long time. It's tied up in that statement that Jesus made in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. I got around, I, it was like a completely different culture of what it was to be a Christian. I got around people who regularly said, people who were preachers, people who were hungry for God, people who'd, who'd done, you know, tremendous things, worldwide impact in evangelism and ministry, who'd get up and say, I'm hungry for more of God. I'm going to get more of God. I'm going to get as much of God as I possibly could. That was, that was a quantum leap for me, given that I was raised in a traditional uh, mainline denominational Christian home and had then, then been exposed to sort of this sort of kind of dry evangelical thing. For me to get into that, for, the, for them to talk about, hey, you can be hungry for God, you can want more of God, and you can have more of God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness can have more of God. You know, Lester Summerall was discipled by Smith Wigglesworth. Before World War II broke out, uh, Lester Sumrall was, um, was over in England, and he met Smith Wigglesworth. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? How many have never heard of him? Smith Wigglesworth was an English preacher. He was a plumber who God got a hold of and used for tremendous miracles, signs and wonders, remarkable things. And one of the things that Lester Sumrall would say about Smith Wigglesworth was, if you ever asked him, do you have faith? His answer would always be, I'm seeking faith. I'm hungering for faith. Do you, do you have the anointing of the host? I'm hungering for anointing. I'm seeking for anointing. He's always looking to grow more in God. That's a completely different mentality. And that's the mentality, that's the core mentality behind this thing. It's not just a question, it's just, it's just not our God. This is where, ironically, reading the Old Testament can sometimes help us more in understanding the new. Because the God of, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, is not, he's not just an in or out God. He's, he's not just a, you know, I signed this doctrinal belief and therefore th that's it. I punch my card and that's in. He's a God of angelic visitations. He's a God of the, the anointing being poured out and pouring down your beard for those who have beards. He, he's, he's, he's the God of powerful worship. He's the God of the, the Shekinah glory filling the temple. He's that God. That's our God. Powerful experiences with the Lord. So what we have is we have this thing that's being laid out. And it confirms these other truths. Now here, here you have something that's, that's really, really tremendous. It says, when they lay their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Now this passage does not talk about any specific manifestation. But every single other passage in the, Bible, in, in the book of Acts does. What's the manifestation that happened? They said, begin speaking other tongues. Right? So Luke, when he writes this, he doesn't think, think it's necessary to say that because he said it so many times in other places. 
and, and even denominations that have studied this have looked at it and said, without any question, the sign that Simon saw was they began to speak in other tongues. That's what happened. It was a visible sign. It was something that they could easily perceive. And Simon was so amazed by it, and this is, this is something that, that I want to key in on, because Simon becomes kind of a template for what it is to be wrong-headed, to kind of get sideways with the flow of this gift. Simon was used to using wonders. This is the nature of witchcraft. He was used to using wonders to garner glory for himself. And he was loaded. He was very, very wealthy because he had done this and people had given him, given him this money. And so he recognizes in this, it's one thing for him to do a trick. It's one thing for him to levitate. It's another thing entirely to have a power at your disposal that is so great that you can impart and you, you, you lay hands on somebody else and they begin to be a wonder worker, right? It's one thing to be a wonder worker yourself. It's another thing entirely to pass that on. And so he just is, he's acting like he's always acted. And we're talking about this guy's a baptized believer. But his spirit's wrong. He thinks that he can use his wealth to leverage influence and to buy position under the shadow of the new covenant. He thinks that, that that's a legitimate way to see things. And so he, he offers Peter money. He says, well, give me this power. Here, let me, uh, what, what's it worth to you? Okay, how many zeros do you want in this check? And Peter wrecks him. He says, you're captive bitterness you're captive there's a there's there's he says you're you're in gall there's a there's a gall is like bile it's this it's this bitterness that comes up and that and in the way he had lived and the way he had done things had had caused this bitterness of spirit to take a hold of him he had skipped repentance he had been wowed by the miracles and said, and, and, and swept up in the movement as all these people are baptized, but he had skipped repentance. The repentance aspect then reached to his core. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you. I've prayed for hundred, hundreds of people to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Pray for hundreds, hundreds of people. I want to get down and talk to you for a minute. 20 years ago, when I was a missionary in Ecuador, I was asked to go and speak um, and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for all the all these groups in this church, right? So this church is largest church in the country, largest church in Ecuador, still is, but then was much smaller. It was only about two thousand people. Now it's about five times that big. But I was asked to go and speak, and uh, the pastor there, uh, who spoke here last uh, October, he said, I'd like you to go. I, first, he said, I want you to speak to all our pastors, just in a group, and just teach, teach them. I said, okay. And then he came back to me. He said, no, they want you to actually go to their small groups. So I'll, I'll have my secretary schedule with you, and you can go to their small groups, and you can pray directly for their, their group that they're leading. So each pastor has... A dozen or so people under them, and I said, "Okay, great. How many could there, could there be? There are 25 pastors. It took me it took me a year to get through for all of them. And one of them was a leader of children. One of them was a leader of children. So I'm dealing with kids in this group. I mean, some of them are in their late teens, but some of them are 10, 11, 12 years old. So I taught, not unlike I'm teaching now." But I taught, and I'm teaching little children. I'm teaching them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I said, how many people have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit? About half of them had. I said, okay, you get over here, you begin to pray. Just pray in the Spirit, and we're going to pray for these who haven't received. So we're praying, and I'm watching, 
and I can, I can see, and we're actually in a classroom at the school, and there's a little girl, maybe 11 years old. She's in a desk right here. Her hands are on the desk. She's got her eyes closed. And man, yeah, you just see the Spirit of God on her. I walked up to that little girl, real quiet. Everybody's praying. I walked up to her. She didn't even see me because her eyes were closed. She's super nervous. And I walked up about as close as I am right now to Anthony, her hands on the desk, and she just begins to weep. This I walked up to two years ago. She just begins to weep. I reached out, reached down on the desk, and I took my finger, and I hooked her forefinger. I didn't lay hands on her. I didn't shout. I didn't push her down. I just, I just reached out like this, and I took her finger like that. Began to speak in another language like she'd been doing it her whole life. It was like a fountain that came out of her. And then there's a domino effect in everybody in that room. Why is it so easy with children? I'll tell you, for the most part, children have bitterness. And children have not had a bunch of goofy false teaching that's poured into them that's complicated it and made it like they can't get it. Now, I've dealt with people who are not like Simon. They're not um, bitter, not bitter. Um, but they've had so much teaching. They recognize the truth. They've had so much teaching against it that it's hard for them to overcome it. Their minds are working too hard. Their minds are just working too hard. But they get it. They receive. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of things in between. I've seen people that, quite frankly, according to the naked eye, I wouldn't have chosen them to receive so easily. Sometimes people's doctrine isn't exactly right. Sometimes all, things in their life aren't perfect, perfectly ordered. But their spirit, listen, their spirit is broken and meek and hungry before God. And because of that, they receive from God easily. And you get other people, how many love me? I'm taking a poll right now. Jesus said, hey, the day is going to come when all these outsiders are going to come in, they're going to sit down at the banquet, and the, and the subjects of the kingdom will be left outside. Why? Because there are people who get a sense of entitlement. Bless God, I've been in this church all these years. Da, da, da. That's not the way to approach the throne of grace. It just doesn't work that way. That's just not how the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what Simon had. Simon had this thing. He had a sense of entitlement. Hey, I'm a big guy. Read the text. It says he was, he was known as the big power, the big dude. And he wanted to leverage that. And Peter's like, what are you crazy? In the 20th century, one of the greatest books, it's a sleeper, one of the greatest books for people being baptized in the Holy Spirit was a book written by David Wilkerson called The Cross and the Switchblade. How many have ever heard of that book? The Cross and the Switchblade. It was made into a movie with Pat Boone and Eric Estrada, of all people. My goodness. Now there's a combo. Right? Eric Estrada is Nicky Cruz, you know. And there's another book Nicky Cruz wrote, uh, called Run Baby Run. When I was a kid, these books were sitting around my house, and I don't know how they got in there. Uh, we're a Catholic family. But I believe, looking back, those planted a seed in me. Because the, this book, listen, David Wilkerson started Teen Challenge, which Ron Brown, who was here uh, last January, is a leader of Teen Challenge nationally and internationally. And I'm connected with Teen Challenge through him. And Teen Challenge uh, had the church I pastored in Southern California years ago. Our, our church was their home church as the local uh, induction center, local chapter. These are guys right off the street, just trying to break radar. These, he started this, and he's trying to break people of heroin addiction. This is in the late 50s, early 60s in New York City. Gangs, people killing each other, 
the, the gang that Nikki Cruz led, the Mau Mau's, had declared war on the New York Police Department. They actually declared war. There are murderous, adulterous, violent, drug-addicted thugs. And David Wilkerson followed the call of God, went in, preached, rented a, rented a, a, a hall, rented a, a, a big uh, auditorium, and you got all these members of these different warring gangs. Th these guys kill each other. And they have their female counterparts, known as the Debs, and they're nothing, th these, these girls are nothing but, but basically prostitutes. And they're all, they're all living in immoral relationships with the men. It was horrific, the whole situation. They, they, about, they about to tore each other apart. And David Wilkerson's on the stage. So he just broke out. He, he, he thought there was going to be gang warfare right in that auditorium. And he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And they bring an altar call. And you've got these guys that are so full of the devil. They're so full of hate. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits them. And they get up there and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. What about Sister Jones? She's been in the church for 30 years. We live in an upside-down kingdom. It's just not how it works. The way it works is the one who renounces everything, renounces all their power, is broken, is hungry. I did altar calls. I did altar calls in Orange County where there's people in the I'm just telling you. People in the church for years, you know, we're fasting, we're praying, and we do an altar call, and the people up in the front, in, 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 a, in a New York second, they're at the front, seeking God, weeping, kneeling, seeking are the guys whose teeth are rotted out from the meth. Because they're so desperate for God. Weakness is strength in the kingdom of God. And strength is weakness. We got to be hungry. Man, we got to be hungry for Jesus. We got to be broken for Jesus. It doesn't mean it's automatic. Nikki Cruz, a major part of Nikki Cruz's book is how he sought and sought and sought and sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it eluded him. And then he got a breakthrough. That's my story. I sought and sought and sought the, the baptism of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, but I, it eluded me until I got the breakthrough. I'm pleading with you as God's people, not particular to this group, I promise you, this is the nature, this is human nature. We want to be hungry for God. We want to come, hey, just as I am without one plea. What does that mean? Just as I am without one plea. That means, hey, I don't come leveraging anything. I come just saying, God, I just want you. I just want you so bad. The one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. Some people, like that little 11-year-old girl, I, you look at, I look at some people cross-eyed, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then other people are more like me, thinkers and, you know. But everybody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. And I promise you, if this church makes as its drumbeat hunger for God, hunger for God, Casting everything else aside. Hunger for God. We'll be filled. We'll be filled. I want to I ask Pastor Steve to come and just play softly. And I want us to pray. But before we do, I, I've got a word for Jared. I was praying about you, Jared. <laughs> and the word that comes to me is from Micah, fifth chapter, second verse. Though you are small, the least of the tribes of Judah, 
out of you will come one who will shepherd my people. If you will give yourself completely over to the Lord Jesus and you will cast aside the gloves, God will use you to shepherd other people into the freedom that you have tasted. And the honey on your lips that's been a sweetness to you is something you're going to be able to extend to them and they're going to taste that honey and they're not going to want any of the other things. If you'll surrender yourself, God will redeem and he'll take what the devil meant to destroy you and he'll use it to shepherd many other people, people that I could never, ever, ever reach. You're going to be able to reach in their lives because you talk their language and you've walked their paths. Everybody stretch out your hand, would you, to Jared. Heavenly Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we release the blessing of God on this young man. Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on him, you would empower him, you would fill him with your grace. We break the chains of regret and condemnation off of him. Any sense of bondage or dependence would be shattered. But God, he would never forget that once he was a slave in Egypt and that he's going to take the message of liberty and freedom and he's going to blow the trumpet that Jesus is the Jubilee that's going to set the captive free. Use him, Father. Use connections, Lord, that he's even forgotten about. Use relationships bring in a harvest of lost lambs into your house in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you just want more of God, you're just like, God, I just want more. I know we're a little bit over time, but, but I want us to pray together. You're just like, look, just no conditions. I just want more of Jesus. No more in and out stuff. I already know that I'm in, but I want more. I want all of his gifts, all of his blessing, all of his anointing. If that's you, I just want you to come up and pray with me here. And I, wanna, I want us to pray together. I want your faith to rise that you can have it. You can have it. The word of God says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be let down. It may come through for you different than you had imagined. I can almost guarantee that it will. But you just say, God, I just want more. Lift your hands where you are, Father, in Jesus' name. God, you see your people. Father, we're here on this Sunday, the middle of July, people on vacation. But Lord, these are your people. They've made a choice to be here today. They want more of you. They want more of your presence. Father, right now in Jesus' name, pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit on your people. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, anybody who has not received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, in Jesus' name, help us to get past ourselves. Lord, let every gift flow in the midst of your people. Let every chain be broken. Hallelujah. 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 Open yourself up. I heard a story. I was sharing it with Eric earlier this week. A Baptist preacher didn't even believe in speaking in tongues. He was driving in his car, and he was just worshiping God at the top of his lungs. He was just worshiping God, worshiping God, worshiping God. Said, God, I want it all. I want more of you. I want everything that you have. I want every last thing. I don't want anything withheld. I don't want anything in me to hold back your purposes. God, bring it all about in Jesus' name. And he broke out speaking in other tongues. He didn't even believe in it. He said, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? That's what hunger for God will do. Your understanding is one thing, but we trust in the Lord with all our heart and we lean not on our own understanding. God, we call on you right now. 
pour out your Holy Spirit. Just lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice out loud. And just begin to call on God. Begin to call on God. Begin to call on God. Jesus, we want you. We want more of your Holy Spirit. We want the conviction of your Holy Spirit to flow. We want the power of your Holy Spirit to flow. We want the gifts of your Holy Spirit to flow. We want the anointing of your presence to flow. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father God, pour out your presence. Pour out your gifts. Pour out your anointing, God. Visit us in the dark of night, God. Comfort us, Lord, in the darkness. I pray, Father, that you pour out your grace on your people, Lord. God, let there be an outbreaking of the Holy Spirit. Let there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost. Let that happen in this house, in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no chain. There's no addiction that can resist the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. When the gifts of the Holy Spirit come, Lord, you break chains. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come. Let the gifts of the Holy Spirit come. Pour out your presence. Pour out your anointing. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Flow in your gifts. Flow in your power. Flow in your presence right now. In Jesus' name, God, just bless your people. Bless them right now in Jesus' name. Bless your people, God. Anoint them. Fill them with your glory. Fill them with your presence. Bless them in Jesus' name. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God, comfort them. God, increase them. Increase the presence of God in our lives, Father. Increase our capacity, Lord, to stay in your presence and to flow in your presence. Oh, hallelujah. God, let there be an increased sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Father, we want to we hear the word of the Lord in our spirit. We want to be guided, Lord Jesus. We want more divine appointments, God. We want more prophetic words, Lord Jesus. We want more protection, more anointing, God, more gifts. In Jesus' name, Father, that's what we want. That's what we seek. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, Father. God, we will not look to the things of this life. We will not look, Lord God, to the natural realm. We will not lean on the arm of the flesh, Lord Jesus. God, we desire the things of God. We hunger for the things of God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for a spirit of intercession, Lord Jesus. Thank you for divine sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's Holy Spirit is moving. He's manifesting in glory and presence. Hallelujah. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Speak. Speak. Speak in Jesus' name. Speak to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, your holy gifts your holy presence, Lord God. We want more of you, God, as a church. We want more of you, Lord Jesus. God, do what you have to do in our midst so that you can do what you have to do in our midst. God, we're asking for it. We're believing you for it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let's sing a chorus, shall we? Let's just worship the Lord.